Welcome to Encounter Grace, everyone. I'm Jason McKnight, and I'm here with Ben Hendricks. Ben, good to have you. Always a pleasure. You and I are both immigrants to Lenore County, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Emigrant or immigrant? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't think of it too hard. Immigrant is where you come to. Emigrant is where you come from. How long have you lived here as, as an immigrant to Lenore County? Just over five years now. Yeah. So we're, we're getting there. You, it's home, though. Yeah. I mean, I'm starting to get some of the slang down and... And I, I don't wear my cowboy hat or cowboy boots from Nashville anymore. So you know. <laughs> you, you've tried to teach us line dancing. Uh, not well. <laughs> he used to work downtown Nashville in line dancing. But we're not going to talk about uh, Lenore County and Eastern North Carolina and Ben and line dancing. We're going to talk about Hunter West. Hunter, welcome. Thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you for having me. So you did not immigrate to Lenore County. You grew up here. You were born here. Is that right? Yes, I'm a Kinston native. Went to Northwest, Woodington, South Lenore. So born and bred in Kinston. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and the biggest part of your name is West Water Park. Yes, which is no longer. It's very sad, but it was a thing at one time. <laughs> oh, we loved it. We used yeah, to have yeah. a blast there, your mom and dad and all that. In fact, your mom taught both my sons at Northwest yep, School. that's right. And uh, she's a dynamite teacher. She, she is, is unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk today with Hunter and Ben about immigrants and immigrating and Hunter's work with a group in Durham called World Relief. And um, what we're going to do together is have a conversation about how do we as believers think with grace and with truth about immigrants in our midst and what can we do or what should we do about being a welcoming place and this is just a hard conversation to have because there's so many moving parts in the equation i mean there are the lives of individuals there's the rule of law and the whole issue. There's the security of the border and there's the security of the person who lives down the street and the lane that we don't know about. There's government actions that harm individuals and there's government actions that help individuals. There's government actions that harm communities <laughs> and help communities. And at the government level and national level and issue level, there's political power plays that obscure any kind of bipartisan work because there's some good ideas out there. Mm -hmm. but, but I don't know, political power plays sometimes make it harder on me. Mm. I'm being very generous. <laughs> <laughs> so how do each of us uh, deal with all this from the national and the issue based to the local and the person based and it's just so big and complicated and honestly Ben and I were talking before the show we don't even know like are we equipped to even host a conversation like this because it's just so big and I guess you just go back to the how do you eat an elephant one piece at a time one bite at a time so let's just try to eat this elephant and hunter has been eating the elephant a little bit <laughs> <laughs> and in fact not saying i got all the solutions to everything but saying well i do have a heart for one part of mm -hmm. the problem so what we'd like to do in our conversation today is to focus in on one aspect uh, that hits us closer to home in our community and and it's this it's the lot in life of those without a path to citizenship. Mm -hmm. And so here's where, Hunter, I'd, I'm gonna invite you to sort of explain a little bit, and we might actually start with a little more of your biography. So, mm -hmm. but before we do that, you know, in any big issue or any topic, if there's three people in a room, there's four or five opinions. Mm -hmm. And that's okay, it's not just the rabbis that do that. <laughs> we all are thinking carefully, and as followers of Jesus who seek the truth and who are guided by the word and wanting to, you know, learn from the spirit in us and between us 
We just want to thank our listening community as well as each other for wanting to engage. And we're not going to agree with everything that's said here, but hopefully we will learn from everything that's said and discern better and percolate and figure out a little bit more of what Jesus has for us in our days. And so, Hunter, thank you for having the courage Mm -hmm. to come and talk and, and share with us a little bit. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, from that big introduction, let's go back to Westwater Park and Hunter. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your background, including yeah. not just Lenore County and Kinsley, but including how you came to Jesus. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so even just talking more about my walk with Jesus, I became a follower of Jesus around the age of seven or eight. Um, and in my mind, I just remember the truth of Romans really stood out to me that, you know, the wages of my sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Mm -hmm. But in my young mind, I would say I really fixated on this understanding that God is a God of judgment. And while that is Hmm. true, that's really the only aspect of God's character that I knew. And so from around the age of seven to about ninth grade, I was 14 or 15, I really operated kind of in like a pseudo works-based faith because I was like, okay, I need to stay in God's good graces. I need to work hard because he's a God of judgment. Hmm. Well, it really wasn't until ninth grade. I remember I was in a freshman biology class. I did not like biology, so I wasn't paying attention. Um, But I was reading this book called Crazy Love by Francis Chan. In biology. Yes. You're smarter than I am. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't do that. I don't know how I had the time to do that, but I remember reading it. Um, But it was really the first Mm. time that I encountered someone explaining God, not as being a God of judgment, but also as being a God who wants a relationship with me, who is like a heavenly father. Yeah. And even too, like, I remember Francis Chan was explaining how Jesus is not just this tool for getting out of hell and into heaven, but really he's, he's beautiful and he's worthy of our worship and he wants us to come into his temple, to inquire in his temple, to mm-hmm. gaze upon his beauty. And I remember it was just a totally different understanding of God than I ever encountered. And I know Alex McFarland recently explained about how like we need to read books as Christians because that is a huge part of our spiritual formation. And I know for me, it's so true with that mm-hmm. book. Um, and so even though that book was like super transformational for me from ninth grade to about 12th grade, I was kind of growing more and like, okay, like, what does it mean to read the Bible? Like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? But I was kind of like independently dependent upon God. Like, I really didn't have community. Mm. I really didn't know what it meant to be in community until I went to college. And in college at UNC Chapel Hill, go Hills, um, (laughs) I became a part of the Summit College, which is the college ministry out of the Summit Church in Raleigh. Um, But that was the first time I ever encountered intentional discipleship Hmm. where there was one young woman who literally discipled me for at least three years. And, you know, every week I was doing a small group with other girls where we were reading the Bible. I was confessing sin to them weekly. I was being vulnerable with them. I was also learning, too, like, what does it mean to be missional? Like, what does it mean to share the gospel with people? Um, and so for me, like, really, this sanctification process has been like, okay, like, God has so many different attributes, like, to his character. And really, over time, it's been just like the expansion of my understanding of his character and its totality and allowing that understanding to then impact every single ounce of my being. And so, you know, like as a young girl, I understood he is a judge, which is true and right. But then as I got older, I realized, oh, my goodness, he's a heavenly father who loves me and wants me. And then whenever I got to college, I realized like, 
oh goodness, he's a God of community. He's a God of mission. He's a God who calls me to want all people to know him. And so mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm thankful to be able to sit here and say like, wow, like I see like how the Lord has grown my understanding over the years, but at the same time in sanctification, you never arrive. You know, like we're always going to be in this process of wanting to learn and grow. Um, yeah, it's true. But yeah, yeah, it's been a sweet, sweet ride thus far. <laughs> and you're um, engaged. I am engaged. Yes, yes. That recently happened back in June. Um, but yeah, me and Andrew, we met literally at a ministry event. And so that's been a very sweet gift. Um, but yeah, and he's also in seminary. He wants to be a pastor. Um, so we're just taking it one step at a time, seeing where the Lord will lead. Yeah. But yeah. All right. So I'm curious, how did you go from just <laughs> a, a great place of discipleship at the summit in college? Mm-hmm. How'd you go from there to having a huge heart for the immigrant? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So, as I mentioned before, you know, I was in the space of the Summit College where I really began to grow in this understanding that God is the God of all nations. And even to just being in college ministry, um, really two things. Well, first of all, I was in the Word more. And so I just remember different parts of Scripture were really standing out to me, one of them being Revelation 7-9, where mm-hmm. God is calling all nations to Himself. And he's like, literally, like, we're all looking forward to the day whenever every whenever every nation, tribe, and tongue will literally bow before the Father and say, like, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the yeah. throne and to the Lamb. And so just for me, I was like, okay, wow, like, God's heart is a heart for all peoples. But then on top of that, I had many friends who were very bold in their public witness, and they were eagerly seeking out friendships with people who looked and thought and spoke a lot differently than they did. And I kind of like reflected on my own life, and I was like, okay, I believe the same thing they do. Like, I believe in the God of the Bible, but my heart, like, there are many areas where my heart does not match his own. Like, why don't I have friends who look and think and speak differently than I do? Like, why am I not in spaces where there are, like, people from other nations in these same spaces. And so really, I remember it was my senior year, at the beginning of senior year, I started to pray like, Lord, please give me a heart that is after your own. Like, please let me want what you want. Help me to desire the things that you desire. Um, And I was just really blown away by how the Lord started answering that prayer. Um, I think it was in about the span, or really just over the course of senior year, I found where the Lord like led me into friendships with different international students on campus. Um, one of my good friends is from uh, India, and then I have another friend from Micronesia, and then another friend from Mauritius, which is a very random country off the coast of Madagascar. And uh-huh. so just very random how the Lord was just aligning different opportunities for me to become friends with these individuals. Um, but even just a personal example, I remember it was October of last year, so right around the time whenever I really started praying that the Lord would change my heart and like really just lead me into spaces where there are people who think differently than me. And I was in TJ Maxx, as I too often was, because I love to shop at TJ Maxx. Anyways, um, but I went into the dressing room and I was trying on a dress, came out into the public part, just like look at myself in the mirror and see if I like the dress, whatever. And there was this woman there and she was trying on a dress too. And I was just like trying to compliment her and say, oh my goodness, love your dress, it looks so good. Cause you know, we need to hype each other up, whatever. Um, and she just started talking to me and turned out to just be the most kind woman I had ever met in my life. And she just started sharing her story with me out of the blue. And I was like, okay, we're doing this. Let's go. Um, but she started sharing with me about how she was originally from India. Um, and she came to the United States within the past decade because her husband's job allowed them to relocate. Um, 
But in India, I mean, she was basically brought up in a Hindu family. Um, and so whenever she came to the United States, um, she also brought with her just like this long list of different medical issues that she was struggling with. And she explained to me how at the time, how like she was seeking out help from her Hindu gods to like to save her and bring her deliverance. And she had one Christian friend that she met in the States. And this friend was like, hey, you should pray to Jesus, to like the God of the Bible, and, and see like what he says, like what he does. And this woman was like, no, I'm not doing that. Well, then over time, she came around, and by the work of God and over time, like she found where she was experiencing deliverance from like so many different health issues that she had for the longest time. And, and just even to over like the course of time of reading the Bible and learning more about who Jesus was, she became a follower of Jesus. Wow. And now like she will boldly say like, Jesus is the way, the truth mm -hmm. and the life. And so even just through my friendship with her, I was like, whoa, like the Lord used immigration to bring a daughter into his kingdom. Like he took this woman who was brought up in Hindu family, mm -hmm. literally to himself through her coming to the United States and experiencing deliverance in a new way like she had never experienced before. And so for me, I really became interested more in just wanting to learn from her and, and even just take a step back and realize like, oh wow, like the God of the Bible is not just the God of Kinston, North Carolina. Like he's also the God of India. Like he's also the God of Africa. Like he's the God of like these major nations. And, and really it just brought like just this fresh understanding of wow like this god is a lot bigger than i ever realized and so i would say like even just through personal encounter through reading the word um just this need to press into this immigrant community really was laid heavily on my heart hmm. and so you work with world relief right yes how did you get connected with them and then what exactly is world relief because i'll be honest when i first thought well, i wasn't <laughs> sure what it was <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> um so how i got connected like I said before, I really just had this desire to work with more international communities after my senior year. And so I knew I wanted to stay in the Durham area because, you know, engagement with Andrew. So, um, <laughs> um, <Good point. laughs> so yeah, so I came across World Relief because Summit College as well works pretty closely with them. Okay. And so I just began to interact with them more and yeah, just learned about this position at World Relief. Um, that I currently have. But ultimately what drew me to World Relief is that its mission statement is that it seeks to empower the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Mm. Um, and so the main way in which we seek to do that in the United States is refugee resettlement. And so we offer case management. We also offer um, you know, different legal advice and legal expertise to immigrant communities. But then also on top of that, we have good neighbor teams where churches, different teams from different churches can partner with refugee families that are being brought into the United States and basically help them just adjust into this new way of living. Um, but ultimately, World Relief, like what we are trying to do is that we believe that the local church is God's plan A for bringing about redemption and reconciliation to the world. And so we want to aid the local church in actually serving these immigrant communities in any way we can. And so whenever I learned that, I was like, okay, yeah, World Relief is definitely an organization that I want to be a part of. And, and as we were talking before, you said that specifically World Relief, or maybe it's your role within it, but specifically speaks for 
four groups of people, and I thought mm-hmm. that was so helpful mm-hmm. for me. So, so explain that just a little bit for us, and that'll maybe yes. narrow down our conversation a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for sharing about your life. I love it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yes, so one way that we seek to care for immigrant communities and empower the local church to serve these groups mm. is by equipping churches to educate and speak out on behalf of these immigrant communities. Um, and so in other words, in my role, I'm really trying to improve the conversation surrounding immigrants living in the United States, living in North Carolina. And so at at World Relief in Durham, we are blessed to work with like at least 13 different denominations in the triangle and just trying to improve this conversation. Um, But even in our recent work, we've seen where there is a need and just a a continuous need really to improve, I guess the word would be discipleship um, in the church concerning like how should a Christian respond to an immigrant living here in North Carolina? Mm-hmm. Um, and so aside from ref- from refugees who have you know legal status and a clear pathway to citizenship, should they choose that pathway, um, there are also millions of immigrants living right here in the United States who lack legal status or who have a status that prevent them from being able to seek out citizenship. Mm-hmm. And so the four groups that I mentioned to you, and really the main two that I, that I think right. are most pressing for Kinston would be undocumented immigrants and dreamers. Um, and so ultimately, and I can explain that a little bit mm-hmm. later too, yeah, but yeah. ultimately what we want to ensure is that immigrants are stepping into just and welcoming communities, you mm-hmm. know, because refugee resettlement, a huge part of that is, okay, like, what community are these individuals being brought into? Like, are they being shown the love of God? Um, and so, yeah, so in my role, really what we are doing is that we want to show that, okay, like, yes, the government has a role to play in refugee resettlement, obviously, but the church also has a role to play mm-hmm. in that as well. And so yeah. we want to work with both to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Give us some of the numbers. Um, yes. I, I feel like there's some interesting things there as I was reading what, yeah. what you kind of were prompting me with because, <laughs> you know, we're, we're trying to, yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So the two groups that I mentioned before, undocumented immigrants and dreamers, um, those are two of the groups that we're focusing on at World Relief that we really want to speak out on behalf of. Um, but dreamers, just to kind of go back to that, these are individuals who were brought to the United States as children. Mm-hmm. And so now they're in this space where they are considered undocumented or unauthorized purely because of something that was out of their control. And, and brought by their parents who came in illegally or undocumented typically by their parents so but so it's not their it's not the kids fault but they're here right and the parents didn't do the right thing but exactly you know what does that mean for the kids so that's when we say dreamers we're talking about kids like Mm -hmm. that exactly okay that's helpful because i kind of forget sometimes Mm. yes yeah yeah and even too like just even how every single situation is so nuanced because with many of these families you know like they are seeking a better life, you know, in the United States. And so even their decision to come here, sure. though it may be unauthorized, like if we really look at the heart of their situation they're going through, it's like, man, like, would we do the same thing if we were in their position? And so that is that is a hard conversation. But even too, just looking at the numbers of undocumented immigrants living here in the United States, there are currently around 11 million undocumented uh, immigrants. But then in North Carolina specifically, there are over 300,000 undocumented immigrants and around 20,000 are considered dreamers. Um, And since we're in Kinston, North Carolina, I think a really big conversation is also just agriculture and talking Mm -hmm. about farm workers. Mm -hmm. And so about 50% of all farm workers 
are typically unauthorized. Mm -hmm. And even in like the surrounding counties, including Lenore County, um, there are around 4,000 farm worker families, farm worker individuals. And so I say that because I feel like whenever you grow up in a small town, it's easy to be like, okay, I see these issues on the news, but it doesn't really impact me. When in reality, immigration policy most definitely impacts even the individual living in Kinston. Yeah, yeah. So it's a very relevant conversation. Well, and and honest, it almost can impact you more because every time any of us drives around, Mm -hmm. we're we're looking at at harvest time, we're looking at fields filled with people. Yeah. And when you realize if 50% of them are undocumented, maybe more than that, but Mm -hmm. just to realize, oh, it's it's right there. Yeah. It's not just the Arizona something or other or... Exactly. You know, LA in the inner city. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it also begs the question, too, of like, okay, like, well, how should we respond? Like, we yeah. see that there are yeah. so many individuals who are immigrants living here, like, specifically for Christians, like, what should our response be? And, and, but first of all, like, why? Like, why should we respond to this? Well, I do think there are many ways that we can come about this. I think, first of all, kind of like you mentioned before, um, I mean, if we look at the southern border, like if we look at like the border where many there is basically an influx of immigrants coming in right now, we look at that and it's obvious there needs to be some type of response. And so at World Relief, we really rally behind a secure border. Like we rally behind mm. this idea of, okay, illegal immigration should most definitely be made harder, but illegal immigration should be made easier. You know, back in July, we- Illegal, s- harder, legal, easier. Yes. Like have a simpler mm. path. Okay. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Because um, even- yeah, even back in July, um, we saw where there was, you know, a group of immigrants who literally got onto a box trailer just to come into the United States. And then I think it was the beginning of July where the entire group was basically like found dead, mm-hmm. like within this box trailer, because they viewed that it was easier to get into the back of a trailer where they would die from heat exhaustion instead of going through the process of becoming a, cit- a citizen or a legal resident at the southern border. And so... Even just wrestling with that. They gambled. Like, they just said, I'm going to roll the dice and and get in. Exactly. 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 And so we're really for like, okay, clearly there needs to be some type of response at the southern border. There needs to be a secure border. There needs to be a streamlined process for these individuals coming in. Mm -hmm. But even to another reason, okay, why should we respond to these immigrant communities? Well, if we're looking at undocumented immigrants and dreamers specifically, they have no straightforward path to citizenship. And so... That is problematic in the sense that they are living in limbo. And so Mm -hmm. individuals who don't have legal status, they can't vote. They don't have a social security number. They really cannot have a driver's license. And so they're basically living on the fringe of society, living in like this weird in between of like, okay, like I'm in this country, but I'm not really in the society. I'm contributing to the economy. Because we even see too, I believe it was back in 2018, where undocumented immigrants gave like $300 million in federal taxes and $200 million in state and local taxes. And so we see where these individuals are really integral parts of our communities, but at the same time, they're not full-fledged members, which is really difficult. Well, and it, it feels like, so, I mean, the rule of law matters and it, it's mm-hmm. not just, hey, you know, there, but, but um, you, no healthy society, mm-hmm. it seems to me, no healthy society wants classes that that if if we're free we Mm -hmm. don't want individual classes of people that do not have the same rights as others like that's what we can't like let's take it from us i mean we're three middle class folks Mm -hmm. we can't stand it 
when Congress writes different laws for them yeah. than for the rest of us. Like when they say we have our own health care and you all have Obamacare, mm. we all go crazy. We right. hate that. Why? Because we don't want two classes. It's exactly the same. We do not want 300,000 people in North Carolina who cannot get auto insurance or, right. you know, and somehow if we get in a car accident with them, there's, mm -hmm. there's just a disaster beyond yeah. the human injury. Yeah, like yeah. It, it's it, like it goes even to those ways that it it hits mm -hmm. everybody, and you don't want people susceptible to power yeah. from others. Like if if a, I mean farmers are great folks, um, we love them, but let's say there's one mean farmer in North Carolina who wants to ab abuse people. He can abuse an undocumented worker because who are they going to say anything to? Mm -hmm. We don't want that. Exactly. <laughs> but we don't want to say, hey, undocumented workers, come here and we don't care. Like what, what you're saying, we've got to secure the border. We've got to have a legal yeah. entryway, mm -hmm. you know, and, and which is hard because when we talk about immigration, I know a lot of people listening are like, rule of law, rule of law. Yeah. And <laughs> it is true. And World Relief yeah. believes that. Mm -hmm. exactly. But at the same time, okay, now the people who are here, what do we do? Yeah, exactly. And I, 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 and I know you have some, some great helps. Um, <laughs> right, so right. So keep talking. Yeah, yeah. And even too, kind of touching back on that, like, okay, how is we as Christians, like how can we respond? And why is it important for us to respond? Because I think it's easy for us to look at issues and be like, okay, that's a problem, but that doesn't impact me directly. Well, one thing that I've kind of realized for myself is that actually this conversation does impact me directly because kind of going back to my own story as I was like reading the Bible for myself in college and just really digging deeper into scripture, I remember coming across this verse in Deuteronomy 10, but it's where the Lord is speaking to the Israelites and he's saying, love the sojourner for you yourselves were once sojourners in Egypt. And for me, I took a step back and I was like, okay, Am I really failing to pay attention to these communities because I myself have really forgotten who I am in Christ? Because it can kind of be talked about two different ways. As children of God, like we are no longer sojourners. But at the same time, as children of God, we are still sojourners. That's great. Yeah. And so like if we go to Ephesians 2, we see at the very beginning where it says, okay, you were once dead in your trespasses and sins. But then later on it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved you, even when you were dead, he made you alive in Christ. And so flash forward to the end of Ephesians 2 and it says, you know, but now you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are members of the household of God. And so we can no longer say that we are sojourners, but instead we are now like children of God. We are fellow citizens with the saints. So we're no longer sojourners, but at the same time, because our home is not here on this earth, but instead is in heaven, like with our father like we're still sojourners like this place is not our home and even to this is random but C.S. Lewis always talks too about how like you know like as believers we always feel like this longing for something more like even whenever we have the best day of our lives to do the thing that we thought we always wanted to do and we still feel this emptiness it's because we realize like this isn't our home and so even now talking more about immigrants living here it's like man like I think I fell to love the immigrant because I felt to realize that I have a lot more in common with them than I realized. Like, and even too, in the Old Testament, we see how Moses is like constantly commanding the people, like, remember where you came from. Like, remember who you once were. Remember that you were once outside of the fold of God. And I think loving 
sojourners, like loving these immigrant communities, no matter what their status is, is a huge part of remembering where we came from. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that is probably the most important reason why we should even care about this issue at all. That's great. Personal discipleship issue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's fair. That is great. Well, um, I know we're talking at the theological and personal <laughs> level and theoretical. And how about if we got down to some of the things that you say, hey, when, when we advocate, here's what we'd like to see. Here's what we would consider a move towards Christlikeness in our society, mm -hmm. leavening effect of the church. What yeah. are some of those specifics that you're, you're hopeful for and praying for and working towards? Yeah. Absolutely. So World Relief partners with something called the Evangelical Immigration Table. And so really we stand on six different principles. And so we can kind of boil these down to kind of talk more theology now, but it will talk more <laughs> specifically as well. But because we believe God is just, really we want to ensure fairness to taxpayers. And so whenever immigrant communities come in, right. yes, we want to welcome them, but we also want to make sure that these are contributing members of our society who are working jobs and who are you know, paying taxes and doing all the things. So we want to ensure fairness to taxpayers. We also want to secure national borders, as I said before. Um, and we also too want to respect the rule of law. Like if someone has broken the law, if someone has overstayed a visa, there needs to be ownership of the fact that the law is broken. Mm -hmm. But also, too, because we believe that God is not only just, but he is also compassionate, we also want to respect the dignity of the human person mm -hmm. and recognize that no matter where these individuals are coming from, whether it's Honduras or whether it's El Salvador or whether it's Guatemala or whether it's Mexico, that these individuals are all made in the image of God, and therefore we should respect them, we should love them. Um, and then also, too, another big part of the conversation is promoting the unity of the family. We want to ensure that all families are kept together. Um, and then lastly, and probably our biggest principle that we stand on is that we support a restitution-based form of legalization for unauthorized immigrants. And so this last principle is particularly relevant for undocumented immigrants. Um, and it, Restitution-based legalization, it kind of hits this tension like you were talking about before where, okay, like we want to promote the unity of the family, we want to be compassionate, but we also want to respect the rule of law. And so in North Carolina, I know of, of many individuals who are in this situation, um, but for example, for many families here who, who kind of are in this wrestle, it's where like the parents or individuals, a mom and a dad, whatever, like they came into the United States and then they got married and then they had kids. And so now this family is in the situation where because the children were born here, they are considered citizens, but their parents are not. Mm. And so if we want to respond to them, we could say, okay, let's respect the rule of law and let's deport all undocumented immigrants. That is good and right because it's respecting the rule of law. But is it really the heart of God to separate families? So we see where that's not really the best response. But then also as well, we could say, okay, we want to promote the unity of the family, and so we are just going to go forth with amnesty, with the sense of just totally forgetting that they have broken the law. But that doesn't really you know, satisfy the heart of God either because mm. God is a God of justice. And so what restitution-based legalization does is that it creates this opportunity for undocumented immigrants to come forward and say, okay, I have broken the rule of law, therefore I will pay this fine, and as a means of acknowledgement that I have broken the law. But then after they have done that, 
then there can be this earned pathway to citizenship where through work or through education or through serving in the military, they then can become citizens of the United States. And so restitution-based legalization is really like this beautiful marriage of both justice and compassion because it allows ownership for wrongdoing, but it also creates the space for these individuals to become citizens, permanent residents. I think that's super helpful and really insightful. And I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense. There's so <laughs> something strong there, yeah. Yeah. So here's my question. Uh, <laughs> I think on the there, uh, whether let's I mean to get a little political here. So I'm sorry, but like you've got people on, <laughs> so on the I always left think or the right. Yeah, super political, political person. <laughs> but I'm just curious because anytime you, I think oftentimes the the best and wisest decisions are ones that are not extremes but down the middle, right? right? That look to the the good from one side and the good from the other and go, how do we hold these? two in hand mm -hmm. at the same time. But whenever you do that, you're gonna get pushed back from everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious, maybe you've heard it or we can just think about it here. Like there are opponents, I guarantee, of for restitution-based immigration reform. Mm -hmm. What do they say about it? Why are they against it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you talk about the extremes, which is really important for this question too, because I would say that on opposite ends of the political spectrum, you know, one group would look at this and say, this policy is way too loose. Like this is not holding undocumented immigrants accountable for the fact that they have broken the law. Um, but kind of going back to our earlier conversation too, you know, as believers, like we hear them out and we sympathize with that because like, yeah, like they have broken the law, like we need to respect the rule of law, there needs to be justice. But at the same time, um, this is actually really interesting. I'm reading through the book of Job right now, and hmm. even to Job's friends, whenever he's going through his calamities and his issues, one of his friends is, is kind of telling him like, okay, like you are, are not worthy of anything good and of anything right, like because you are a sinner, there's nothing righteous in you. And he's right, but he's also missing out on the compassion of God's character. And so kind of similar with this group of people, it's like, they're actually right. But even too with my own personal story, like I was right in believing that God is a God who is a judge, but I was wrong in thinking that's only who he is. Like there's more to his character. And so that end of the political spectrum is not necessarily right in their response. But then even too, if we move to the other end, they would look at this policy and say, this is way too strict. Like we just need to forgive and forget. Um, and even to some people may even point to how Jesus mm. was very forgiving and, and talked about how like every time someone forgives them, forgive them. And that that is right. But also too, if we look at who Jesus is talking to, it's to the individual, it's to his disciples. This is a whole other conversation whenever it comes to our government. Even too, if we look at Romans 13, where it's talking about respecting governing authorities. Do we really respect governing authorities if we just totally hide the fact that the law was broken. And so while both ends of the political spectrum are very valid in their viewpoints, I think it really is the marriage of both of those things that creates the best response to undocumented immigrants yeah. living here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are there any examples of like policies or, I mean, anything that's come up that or should probably give us hope of people working <laughs> together and getting this right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So 
Um, yeah, and I think that's an important thing to include too. World Relief, we are nonpartisan, so we do not stand behind like any specific you know political party, um, but we really do value whenever both ends of the political spectrum can come together and work on this issue. And so two policies come to mind. The first one is the DREAM Act. And so the DREAM Act would directly respond to dreamers living here in the United States. And actually it was introduced by Senator Lindsey Graham, who is a Republican senator in South Carolina, and also so Senator Dick Durbin, who is a Democratic senator in Illinois. Um, but basically what this policy would do is it would allow current, past, or future high school graduates who were brought to the United States under the age of 17, it would give them the opportunity to earn citizenship through work, through working in the military, serving in the military, or through going to school. So the DREAM Act is one that we are really excited for. Um, another one is the Bipartisan Border Solutions Act that was also introduced by a Republican senator from Texas, Senator Cornyn, and a Democratic um, senator in Arizona, Senator Sinema. Mm -hmm. And so basically, this is streamlining this process of individuals coming into the United States through the southern border. So it would increase access to legal services, it would expedite the process for hearing asylum cases, and it would also ensure, too, that every single case is heard in a fair way. And so both of those acts, the DREAM Act, the Bipartisan Border Solutions Act, those are two pieces of legislation that we are very hopeful and mm. very prayerful over and hoping yeah. that something will actually get done in both of these areas. And I think immigration policy, too, is really just this cool space of showing that you know, there is space for both parties to come together. Like, there's actually widespread agreement that there needs to be comprehensive immigration reform, but it's just this question now of, okay, how can we mobilize our right. senators to actually do something about it if they already care? And how, and transcend political animus that the maybe the representatives and the senators don't have or are able to, but the news cycle and the right. headlines and the Twitter mobs, yeah. it's just really hard not to, yes. like, it, it, you got to give coverage to the mm -hmm. folks doing things that are outside of, of what the Twitter mob wants. I mean, right. you know, it's just, it's just tough. And that's mm -hmm. maybe one area that we can be prayerful about. Well, I love hearing about the DREAM Act and the Bipartisan Border mm -hmm. Solutions Act because it's it, not the DREAM Act. I've heard of that, but I've <laughs> never heard of the other one, BBSA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's that's good and we need to. Let's do this. Let's, let's kind of wrap this up. Give us a couple of steps that our listeners can take if they're interested in learning more. I mean, maybe put your cell phone out. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but sure. at least give us the website. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. And, um, just what, what would you counsel folks to say, hey, if I want to take another step, if I want to learn a little more, this is what I do. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely our website, World Relief Durham, just World Relief as a whole. Like definitely go to our website. We can put that in the show notes. Um, mm -hmm. But then even to like, what can you do? Um, I think, well, I don't think I know that the best way to respond is prayer. So praying for more bipartisan work to occur. Um, praying too that our hearts as believers would change that we would begin to wrestle with this tension that we talked about today um but even prayer too especially over the immigrant communities living mm -hmm. here as you mentioned mm -hmm. before because they are you know they don't have legal status they're very slow then to even report crimes and so therefore they're really at risk of great mm -hmm. exploitation whether it's domestic violence or even sex trafficking whatever it may be and so just prayer that these groups would experience healing, would have protection, and that there would be change in Congress in regards to this issue. Um, and even too, just for the listeners, you know, seek out ways that you can 
be friends with people who look and think and speak differently than you do. I know for me, like really like seeking out friendships with people in that way was transformational and was really like this awesome opportunity for me to step into the shoes of someone else and see that we have a lot more in common than I realized, but also too, that they have a, a lot of unique struggles that I just didn't know about because I was never friends with people in that way. And so, yeah. And so I would encourage people, like if there's an immigrant community who has a church right here in Kinston, go attend a service, like just go experience a different way of worship um, and really see too that we have a lot in common with them. Um, and then, that's even a great idea, like to allow an immigrant community to welcome you in yeah. and extend back to you or mm-hmm. me by coming to their church. What we as a country have extended to them, yeah. which is a welcome mat. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Um, and then even to maybe the last thing I would say is, you know, look at the Evangelical Immigration Tables website because we have a lot of biblical resources that uh, really provide more of a biblically rooted perspective on immigration policy and all the things we talked about today, there is that and even more like on that website that really provides great information for not only just like pastors, but anyone, no matter what, where you are in your walk with Jesus. And so definitely check out EIT's website for sure. Well, I love it. Mm-hmm. Hunter, thank you for making the trek down here from yeah. Durham. I know your mom is happy you're here. Yes, yes <laughs> definitely is. <laughs> yeah. uh, but thank you for helping us. It's just a joy to learn and think and, and consider. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, worldbelief.org, worldbeliefdurham.org. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's two, but they're, they're all together. Mm-hmm. And um, Ben, thank you for helping us think together before the show and on the show. Mm-hmm. And everybody who's part of this, listen and, and keep praying and keep thinking and how can we look someone in the eye and see Jesus and also help lead them to Jesus. And I, I think you're right. Like the the um, the people that God brings to any place at any time, whether it's our town or our neighbors on our street or our community or our country, he's going to use to bless mm-hmm. and um, that community or country or town or street. And so let's right. be part of watching him bless and and with the proper guidelines, uh, guidelines and, and guardrails. We love that too. So right. Hunter, thank you so much. Thanks for the work with World Relief. Yeah. And everybody, thanks for joining us on Encounter Grace. And we'll see you next time. This is a ministry of Grace Fellowship Church in Kinston, North Carolina. Visit gracekinston.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.